And welcome, everybody, once again to another special installment of J.C. and Morgan. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Uh, we, we, we've had a great, a great rhythm here of terrific guests on college football, and that uh, will certainly be the case again today. Phil Steele, I tell the story, and I, I don't want to bore everybody too much, but I ran into the Phil Steele magazine on accident many moons ago when I was hosting a show in Columbia, South Carolina, and somehow your magazine, now this is like the early 2000s, so you were not quite the celebrity you are now, Phil, but it wound up in the country music DJ's hands. He had no use for it. He came to me and he said, Mike, you want this? And I said, Phil Steele, who is this? You know, I've, I'd been used to, I was living in the inferior Athlon Lindy's world. And I opened it up and I said, oh my goodness, this is like everything I want and need. Um, you always have been the king of information and that has maintained. And now you have turned into this uh, kind of college football magazine celebrity. So A, I say congratulations. And B, I say it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Mike, and I appreciate the fact that back when the magazine was just getting rolling, you would have me on on the, the local stations in South Carolina and places like that, and uh, I appreciate you bringing me on way back then. Yeah, well, I mean, I again, I am um, – one thing I am when it comes to college football, I'm a no-frills guy when it comes to my information, right? I, I don't need pictures of cheerleaders. I don't need grilling tips. I can find that a million other places. I want information. And and when you're hosting a show or when you're calling games, as I do, I need that extra information. Your guy provides it. Last year, I know, and we had John last year, I can't even imagine trying to produce a magazine during COVID. Um, And and even this year, I got to ask you, obviously, this year is much better conditions and quote unquote, easier in some ways. But with the transfer portal being what it is, how do you how do you work against that or, or with that the best you can? Yeah, and uh, it actually worked out pretty good this year. And let me explain. Uh, In the magazine business, it's always been a a saying. I remember when I got in the magazine business back in 1995, Joe Del Poplo from Game Plan said, Phil, here's the key. you got to be the first magazine on the newsstand and or the second because everybody buys that first one they see. Everybody buys that second one they see. And by the time you get to three and four, maybe they're out of money for college football preview magazines. Well, much like yourself, an information guy, you're going to get the Phil Seal magazine every year, regardless of when it comes out. So I made the decision this year to go to the press June 15th. The other magazines are already on the newsstands. Heck, they had to go to the press in May, maybe even April, to get the stuff out there. But we went to the press June 15th so we could capture all the transfer portal things. And let me give you one prime example. Uh, Luke McCaffrey was at Nebraska last year and transferred to Louisville, and he was the backup quarterback in the spring. And uh, then he, all of a sudden he hits the transfer portal late May. And so I'm like, well, we're never going to find out where McCaffrey went. Well, lo and behold, Coach Bloomgren of Rice gives me a call on June 13th, two days before we go to the press. He says, Phil, we got Luke McCaffrey. He's coming in at, at quarterback. Boom. We changed the quarterback right up, plugged him in as a starting quarterback at Rice, changed the overall right up to include McCaffrey in there, changed the offense right up, adjusted my power ratings, got it all set. And when we went to the press June 15th, we had all of them up to date. And since June 15th, there really hasn't been that very many transfers. So going to the press later like we did was, I think, a key to handling the transfer portal this year. 
Yeah, no question. Uh, some things are worth waiting for, which, by the way, I'm waiting for my guide. My birthday is next week, Phil, so uh, hint, hint, uh, feel free to <laughs> ship that out. I, I, do know, <laughs> I, I do know that uh, I was out on a show today, actually, and, and, and the guy who was asking me questions mentioned your guide and mentioned that you have projected Oklahoma. Uh, look, there are five schools that have been dominating college football that I wouldn't say it's completely outside the box to predict any of them to win. However, in a year where I'm, I'm just guessing 80% plus are going to pick Alabama to win the whole thing. That is a little bit off the beaten path. Tell us how you arrived at that conclusion. Yeah. And, uh, you look at the top teams this year and well, first of all, the whole landscape of college football, everybody's got 16, 17, 18 returning starters, uh, except for the big boys. You know, the, the four teams that were in the playoff last year lost a lot to the NFL draft talking about Notre Dame, Ohio state, Clemson, and Alabama, and, and they all lost their starting quarterbacks as well. Well, Oklahoma wasn't in the playoff last year, and they have 15 returning starters, unlike the other four that made the playoff last year. So they're a more veteran team. Uh, they've got their quarterback back in Spencer Rattler, which is a big plus. And the last three times Lincoln Riley has had a veteran quarterback, two of them won the Heisman Trophy, and the other time the quarterback was a Heisman finalist. So I think Rattler, now that he's a veteran, and although he's technically still a redshirt freshman, he, of course, started uh, all 14 games last year, and or all the games last year, and now is a veteran QB. I think that he is a, a prime piece. And then the other piece for Oklahoma is the defense. The last couple of times we've seen him in the playoffs, they really haven't brought a defense along with that potent offense. Well, they've got the potent offense this year. Last year, the defense only allowed 21 points per game. Big time improvement. And this year, they got eight starters back on defense. You look at them up front, they got my number three rated defensive line in the country, number nine set of linebackers, and number three secondary in the country as well. So you take the, the Lincoln-Riley offense with the veteran quarterback running behind my number one rated offensive line in the country and plug in a defense that could be top five this year, and all of a sudden you've got a national champion contender. So of the main contenders, they're the most experienced and the only one with a veteran quarterback. So who's beating Alabama? I'm going to go with Oklahoma to, <laughs> to win it. Uh, so I've got naturally I've got Alabama in the playoff uh, and Clemson, and I've got Ohio State really going out on limb there, guys. But uh, so I, I do think it'll still be the big boys again this year, much like okay. we expect. Uh, I think if there's not going to be one of the big boys, if one of the big boys gets knocked out, I think the two teams that have the best capability of doing so, one would be Texas A&M. Uh, talking to Coach Jimbo Fisher this year and going over the um, offensive line with him, even though they lose four starters, he feels this year's offensive line could be bigger, more athletic, more physical, and have more NFL prospects in it, potentially an even better offensive line than the one that was a Joe Moore finalist last year. They have a new quarterback in Haynes King, but I think he can put up Kellerman stats, and they get Alabama at home. So if anybody's going to knock Alabama off, I think Texas A&M has that shot. And then Georgia is another main culprit that could enter into the mix, and they could potentially knock off uh, Clemson or Alabama or both. Uh, Georgia now has a veteran quarterback in JT Daniels who uh, put up 37 points per game in his four starts last year. They have my number three rated defense. They have my number two rated running backs, a top five offensive line, and I love their schedule. They do open up with Clemson 
which is going to be a huge game. I mean, you're talking about the number four, number five teams battling it out right at the start, top five matchup. But after that, they only have three true SEC road games, and all three are against first-year head coaches, Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee. Everything else is at home or the Florida game in Jacksonville. And Florida only has five returning starters on offense and five on defense. They lose Kyle Trask. Uh, they lose Pitts. They, they lose a bunch of players from last year. So I think Georgia's the clear-cut favorite in the East. And if they, they can potentially knock Clemson and or Alabama out of the playoff. You're always big on schedule, and you hit it. I mean, the difference between Georgia's schedule last year uh, and, and the cross-divisional opponents compared to this year, it's night and day. And, and their schedule compared to Florida's is night and day. Yet another reason why everybody likes Georgia uh, in the East this year. What about uh, – jump back to the West, and then we'll go back to the East. You mentioned A&M. How about LSU? I, I think this is a huge year for the hierarchy of that division. If if Jimbo Fisher can win that game this year, and even if he doesn't beat Alabama, but I mean, there could be he could at bare minimum establish AM as the number two program in the West ahead of the likes of LSU, ahead of the likes of Auburn. That's something that AM has not been able to do under previous regimes. Uh what what is going to stand in the way? What do you when you see LSU, which had clearly a down year last year? How do you size them up this year? I think LSU is a threat to Texas A&M. I do believe if you look at Jimbo Fisher's four recruiting classes, they have been amazing. Uh, going over the team at the meet year, this is a deep team, and I do think they are the, the second best team in the West. And and we'll give Alabama a run for their money. But talking about LSU. You know, one thing I feel this year, Mike, uh, with everybody so experienced, like I said, almost every team has 16-plus returning starters. I believe uh, if you go to the Pac-12, Colorado has 16 returning starters coming back. They're the second uh, fewest returning starters in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, And that goes on across the country. But I think the teams that are going to make the biggest jump are the ones that were inexperienced last year. And you can't get much more inexperienced than LSU was last year. You know, LSU lost all those players to the NFL, and then they lost all these players to opting out. They had two returning starters on offense and three on defense. Now, they barely made it to 5-5. Five and five. They needed to shoot toss against Florida. They needed a big comeback late to get past Ole Miss just to get to 5-5 five and five last year. But I think this year's LSU team, with 18 returning starters, will look more, more close to the two 2019 version or 18 version, the double digit win type of squad. They've got two capable quarterbacks in Miles Brennan and Max Johnson. They've got dangerous running backs. Of course, they've got great receivers. They recruit very well in that area. And defensively, I think you're going to see improvement, especially up front on the defensive line. So overall, LSU is a much improved team. You look at their schedule this year and look for the games where they would be an underdog. I mean, they're, they're possibly at Ole Miss, at Alabama, and the Texas A&M game a toss-up. But other than that, they're probably favored in all their other games. So you're looking at an LSU team that's not going to be scratching to get to 50-50. Uh, they're probably looking at double-digit wins this year. How about the uh, two of the more colorful coaches in the country, uh, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin going into year two at Mississippi, Mississippi State. Seems like Kiffin's offense was really, really good start to finish last year. Leach was a little up and down, but I think they really kind of hit a sweet spot toward, toward the end. Uh, there's a lot of excitement in Starkville right now uh, and in Oxford for those two programs. Can, can you speak to those two teams? Yeah, and you know, going back to last year's magazine, we didn't really talk about the, what was different about last year's magazine. I would think the biggest difference was 
talking to the first year head coaches last year uh, without spring practice. And, you know, I would send my sheets over to the first year head coaches. And, and this year, by the way, I talked to about a little over 110 of the 130 head coaches this year, but I would send my sheets over to the first year head coaches, which both Kiffin and Leach were part of. And uh, they would look at them and say, Phil, I don't know these players that well. I, I haven't even seen these guys in pads yet. So that's the difference, I think, between this year and last year. And you're going to see big jumps out of these first year head coaches who have now had a full season to learn their players and a full spring to learn their players as well. Now with Ole Miss, I'm excited. I mean, their offense is, I mean, the 42, 42 against Alabama last year in the fourth quarter gave them one of the best games of the year. They have a puncher's chance in any game with that offense led by Matt Corral, led by a deep backfield like Jerry and Ely, Snoop Connor, Henry Parrish, uh, the receiving core is one of the best in the country, and the offensive line is solid. Biggest improvement for Ole Miss can be on the defense. Last year, they only had five starters back, uh, and they didn't have time to learn the defense, and they gave up 38 points per game. It was horrendous at times. This year, they got nine starters coming back. I think they do have talent on defense. I'm not going to call it a top 20, probably not even a top 40 defense, but to meld that offense along with a adequate or above slightly above average defense makes them a threat in any game. So as mentioned, I think, I think Ole Miss has a puncher's chance in any game. There'll be a dog at Alabama this year. I think the LSU game is probably a toss up uh, at Auburn's not going to be easy a and M at home, but I see them definitely improving their record and they'll be up there in the mix uh, of the, uh, the SEC. Now with Mississippi state, I thought Mike Leach stepped into a, a ridiculously tough situation last year. Mississippi State was a run team. They were about 80 or 75% run the previous year. And he brought, comes in, no spring practice, has to switch the offensive lineman from run blocking to pass blocking with those wide splits. And now they throw the football 80% of the time. Generally, that's a two- to three-year process with spring practices. He didn't even have spring practice. So I was quite comfortable in my forecast that Mississippi State's offense was going to struggle last year. I was actually stunned in the opener when they lit up an LSU team that wouldn't get out of man-to-man defense and <laughs> threw for 632 yards. And I was like, oh, my God. I am dead wrong on Mississippi State. <laughs> then teams started to play zone. They started to play zone on them, and, and their offense was more like what I thought it would be for the majority of the year until the end of the season. But there was nothing wrong with that defense. They had eight starters back. Now Leach has had a full year there. You know, I watched the spring game. I was impressed with Jack Abraham, who came over from Southern Miss. He and Will Rogers give him a potent quarterback combo. Uh, I think they will be a much improved team this year, not one that goes four and seven or three and seven in the regular season like last year, uh, and definitely one that will flirt with legitimately landing a bowl spot after getting to a bowl at three and seven. I heard the announcer on that spring game. He's an up and comer. Uh, I can't remember his name, but anyway, um, let me ask you about the. <laughs> Appreciate you tuning in, Phil. Um, we, we, we've got a strong contingent uh, in, in South Carolina. It's it. I imagine this was a hard team to forecast for your guide. And again, I haven't I haven't seen what you've written just yet. So break it down for the Gamecock fans out there. How how do you look at, at Shane Beamer's first squad in Columbia? Uh, you know, talking to Coach Beamer, a lot of times you get a first-year head coach, and they're not happy with what they inherited. Uh, Shane Beamer was happy with what he inherited. He was pleasantly surprised with the talent that he had to work with uh, this spring. I mean, you look at that backfield. Kevin Harris is a guy that rushed for 1,000 yards last year, one of the more underrated running backs in the country, and he's going to have to hold off Marshawn Lloyd and Saquandre Wright. That's a deep set of running backs. Uh, Luke Doty is the, the big question mark at quarterback is – 
you know, he got his feet wet last year as a freshman. Can he thrive this year? If he does, they might be dangerous. I like their defensive line. Uh, Coach Beamer really liked their defensive line. So it's a it's a line, that, and if you're strong at the line of scrimmage, you're going to win some football games. I got them rated the number 12 defensive line in the country, the number 23 offensive line in the country. So once again, I think it comes down to QB play. They were better than a 2-8 and eight team last year, and I think when you look at the talent and the schedule this year, they need to pull an upset or two, but uh, maybe just one, maybe two. Uh, but they're also a team that could flirt with a bowl game. And by the way, Mike, I love it when you call spring games because uh, I always get a lot of information on the players. Thank you. I like to I, I like to consider myself the Phil Steele of spring football play-by-play <laughs> man in America. That's that's the ultimate compliment. And and that's what I think when when I'm listening to it because I'm like I am writing down notes all spring game long. I'm like, damn, this is good stuff. Yes. And you're not watching a spring game to see who wins or loses the game. No. You're watching it to learn about the team, and you do that. So I love it. Thank uh, you very much. No, that's that's for that's nice of you to say. I mean, basically, they're 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 two hour or three hour windows to where. We, we know nobody cares who wins. It's all about just edu- educating everybody on, on what everybody's looking at there. And I'm with you. I think Mike Leach uh, actually can pull off some surprises this year with that, uh, with that team coming back. Phil, one of the things you always do is you come up with surprise teams, uh, teams you believe that are being undervalued. Uh, you might have mentioned a couple already in your, your SEC synopsis. So who are we missing here? Yeah, now the surprise teams uh, for the magazine are non-top 10 teams. I always always put out my preseason top 10 for the AP poll in February of each year. And we have hit, uh, I think, in the last 11 years, we have hit 10 out of 10 seven times, 9 out of 10 the other four times. So we pretty much know who's going to be in the top 10 at the start of the year. And then I have to pick from outside that group and say who could potentially make the playoff. Now, back in 2016, we took I took Washington, and Washington actually made the playoff. Uh, I think they came in number 14. They probably would have been about number 20, but since I had them as my number one surprise team, I think the AP voters read that stuff as well. Uh, they got up to, to number 14. Uh, three years ago, Notre Dame was not in the top 10. They were my number one surprise team. They made the playoff. Two years ago was Utah. And Utah nearly made the playoff. They lost the doggone Pac-12 game, Pac-12 title game, or they would have made it. And last year it was Texas A&M coming off a five-loss season. And uh, A&M was there, Selection Sunday. I, I was hoping. I was like, come on, come on, pick A&M. Make me look good. Uh, they just missed out. They were number five. Uh, this year I got two surprise teams I want to talk about. One is Wisconsin. Now, they're not going to be anybody's top 15 at the start of the year. And the Badgers were only four and three last year. But – they averaged 3.9 yards per carry. When's the last time Wisconsin averaged 3.9 yards per carry? These guys averaged five, six yards per carry. They've got the big offensive line. They've got four of what I call VHT running backs, including Ches Malusi, who comes over from Clemson. So I think you're going to see the running game reemerge. Graham Mertz last year hit 20 of 21 passes in the opener, and everybody was anointing him one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Now, I think he let some of that go to his head maybe a little bit, struggled the rest of the year. But now with a full offseason under his belt, I think Mertz will be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And defensively, they're always solid. Then you talk about schedule. Look at the road games, Minnesota, Rutgers, Purdue, and Illinois. They do play Notre Dame in Chicago, but this is a team that could potentially be favored in all 12 games. Yet no one's even talking about them right now. And if they get to the Big Ten title game this year, Keep in mind, the last two Big Ten title games against Ohio State in 2017 and 19, 
They gave Ohio State everything that they could ask for, uh, even leading at half, I believe, in both games. So it's a very dangerous Wisconsin team and one that's well under the radar. My number one surprise team would really be a surprise because nobody's even going to pick them to win their own division in the Pac-12, and that's Washington. And when I look at Washington, I see a team that's got uh, an outstanding offensive line. They're massive. They're like 330 pounds a man. Uh, They're deep backfield, now a veteran quarterback, and a a good receiving core. And the defense under Jimmy Lake is always great. Even when they returned two starters two years ago, they allowed 19 points per game. This year he's got eight starters to work with. Then I love their schedule. They avoid USC and Utah out of the South. Their two toughest Pac-12 games are Oregon and Arizona State, but they get them both at home in Husky Stadium. Toughest road game is probably at Michigan. And just to let you know, I got Michigan middle of the pack in the East, not not mm-hmm. one of the favorites to win it. So I, I think Washington can actually navigate that schedule unbeaten. And if they do, uh, and I think the Pac-12 champ will get an automatic uh, or would definitely get in if they're unbeaten at the end of the year. I, I want to ask you uh, one ACC question for sure, but, but since you just mentioned it, Michigan, Everybody knows what's been going on in Michigan. They they win a good amount of games. They never beat Ohio State. Um, a lot of people are disappointed over there in Ann Arbor. One of the things you do in your guide as well is you break down kind of a composite recruiting ranking, and, and by with that you give it a, each player a, a Phil Steele number. Am I missing something? Is Michigan are they not very talented? Like what 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 is going on with Michigan football when you put them under your microscope? Yeah, I, I think it's just been a game day performance in, in the big games. Uh, and they've had too many of those games where everybody's watching when they play Wisconsin, everybody's watching when they play Ohio State, and they've been non-competitive in those games. So I think that throws a big-time damper on them. As you mentioned, you know, the previous two years, prior to last year's ugly 2-4 and four season, they had 10 wins, 9 wins. They've knocked off ranked teams before, but uh, they just haven't played very well in the big games. They do have talent, but I think the thing that's been missing and the biggest gap between them and Ohio State is they didn't have quite the speed to match up with Ohio State. Now, they've been recruiting more in that area. They've changed their defense this year. Don Brown's defense had been dominant for years, uh, but the, the last couple of years got toasted in the big games. So they've switched that over, going with a little bit more speed on the defense, a little bit more speed on the offense. But I, I still think this year that they're a year away from really even making a move in the East. I've got a middle of the pack this year. Although, since they had a losing record last year, I can put them on my most improved list because I, I pride myself on the fact that about 75, 80% of the teams on my most improved list go from a, a losing record to a bowl. So I put Michigan on the most improved list at number 15 this year. And I think their ceiling is probably nine and three and the basement's probably five and seven. Okay. Now if it's somewhere in between those two, that's, that's not going to make the Michigan faithful very happy, but nonetheless, <laughs> it could still be an improvement from last year. Uh, ACC, we, we, we know Clemson. Then what? You got Sam Howell at North Carolina. You've got uh, Florida state trying to get underneath, uh, you know, with its new coaching regime over there, uh, NC State always seems to be in that kind of middle tier. What do you make of the ACC beyond the Clemson Tigers? Yeah, in the Atlantic, I think it's clearly Clemson. Uh, NC State's probably the second most talented team in the Atlantic. I just hate their schedule. I mean, they have to play at Mississippi State. They get Clemson at home 
which in my mind is not a good thing because if you're going to lose to Clemson, you might as well lose to them on the road and get four good home games. But they play them at home, so they really only have three chances at home. They have to play Boston College, Miami, Florida State, Wake Forest, all on the road, and all those teams are very good. And they pull the two toughest teams out of the Coastal. I'm talking about North Carolina and Miami of Florida. So toughest schedule in the ACC goes to NC State talented but the toughest schedule i think the challengers for clemson will be in the acc title game because north carolina and miami of florida do not play clemson during the regular season this year uh miami's got the eric king back at qb this season uh hopefully he's 100 percent healthy and when i talk to coach diaz he feels that he will be he's hit every benchmark that they want him to he feels he'll be ready to go by the time august camp rolls around they've got a deep backfield with cameron harris donald cheney diaz has taken over the play calling this year and his nine star back, And I asked both Coach Diaz and Coach Brown, what the heck happened in that Miami-North Carolina game last year, 62-26, to and neither one really knew what happened. So I think that was more of an abnormal game. These two teams are very close talent-wise. North Carolina, you know, they've got Sam Howell back at QB. Now the biggest question, how do you replace a pair of 1,000-yard rushers and your top two receivers? I think they'll be able to replace the receivers. I mean, with Sam Howell throwing the football, he's going to throw some players into being stars. They'll probably have two guys that total 1,700 yards like last year. I don't think they're going to have 2,000-yard backs this year, and that would be my biggest question mark. But the offensive line is solid, and North Carolina's defense wasn't overwhelming last year. These guys look good getting off the bus. They're big. They're strong. They're fast. Mac Brown's another guy doing a heck of a job recruiting. I think North Carolina has a defense this year. So the winner of that October 16th game, North Carolina against Miami, will be in the ACC title game against Clemson, and I think they can give them a game. It'll be pretty exciting for once. What do you make of Florida State? Uh, They're actually starting to recruit a little bit better, and they they actually uh, took advantage of the transfer portal pretty well. Have some players I sort of like. Uh, DJ Williams coming in from Auburn as a running back. Mackenzie Melton as a quarterback. You know, what I was told was this is maybe kind of a bridge season. Maybe they win seven, eight, get it pointed back in the right direction. But uh, what do you think about the Seminoles? Yeah, and who the heck's doing their schedule for crying out loud? They've got a tough <laughs> schedule. <laughs> yeah, they open up with Notre Dame. You're playing Clemson already. Uh, they draw North Carolina and Miami of Florida, and then you finish off the season. Oh, by the way, with Florida. Uh, that's a that is a brutal schedule for Florida State. But Mike Norvell is one of those first year head coaches last year that didn't have spring practice was trying to bring in new systems, both offensively and defensively. I thought overall they had way too much talent on that defensive line to give up 456 yards per game like they did last year. So that was a little stunning. But once again, first-year head coach, new system. Uh, I agree with you. He's brought in some great transfers. I think if Mackenzie Milton's 100% healthy, thank goodness for college. I mean, college football will be the beneficiary of that. He was a lot of fun to watch when he was at UCF. They've got the running backs in Corbin and Toa Philly, and they've got the dangerous players in the skill positions that Mike Norvell turns into stars. I mean, they can bring those wide receivers and uh, run them, you know, run them out of the backfield, and it's just a, an exciting offense to watch. Uh, defensively, they've got to be better. They do have talent there, like Emmett Rice, a linebacker, and Jermaine Johnson up front of the defensive line. They'll be stronger this year. I think they probably get close, uh, probably get to a bowl game, even with the tough schedule is, is possible, but I don't think we're going to see them near the top of the ACC this year. I would agree with you, JC. I think it's a bridge year, and next year they get back up into more of the Florida State team you're used to watching. Is that kind of what we're saying about Texas as well? 
I mean, it, it, you know, Texas talk- should be better, but it's, don't you think it's kind of like a bridge year for Stark? We're not expecting them to beat Oklahoma in year one. Yeah, you wouldn't expect it. But here's the thing. When I talked to Coach Sarkeesian, he was pretty happy with what he brought in. And I echoed something last year when they were getting ready to fire Herman. I'm like, you know what? Texas is basically three plays away from being unbeaten and Herman being coach of the year. I mean, the TCU game, they fumble at the goal line with, what, under a minute to play. They score the touchdown. They win the game by five. Oklahoma, you lose a game in four overtimes. Now, in four overtimes, one play, and you win that football game. And the same thing with Iowa State. They led that game start to finish. Two minutes to go, Iowa State took its first lead of the game and ended up beating them 23-20. I think Texas uncharacteristically missed a couple of field goals in that game uh, from their excellent field goal kicker, Dicker the Kicker. So overall, they were basically three plays away from being 10-0 last year. When I talked to Coach Sarkeesian, he didn't come in with an attitude, well, we're rebuilding. He says, Phil, we were three plays away from being unbeaten last year. I was like, whoa, he's got the good attitude here. Now, my biggest question mark with Texas is quarterback. I mean, Sam Ellinger was Texas. His offense. How many times did he take that team by the bootstrap and take them down the field and win a game at the end? Hudson Card and Casey Thompson are both very good, but will they have that same game ability that Ellinger did? Now, Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, Keelan Robinson are running back. They're loaded. Offensive line solid. Defense improved. They have my number six special teams. I don't have them up there with uh, Iowa State and Oklahoma, but Coach Sarkeesian is pretty uh, likes the talent he inherited. So don't don't fall asleep on these guys. But I, for one, am not saying this year that Texas is back. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be a little bit early to do that. Uh, but but I do I do think eventually, you know, you keep betting on uh, twenty three black. Eventually, the roulette wheel is going to hit there, and eventually, it's going to hit on Texas. I have to think at some point. Uh, Phil, you you hit it every year. Uh, there's no one better in the business at, at doing what you do. For those that don't already have the guide, tell the fine folks out there how to get it. Hey, I appreciate that. Now, the difference this year, we've streamlined the operation a little bit. We've gone exclusively to Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So save the listeners a little bit of gas money. Don't be driving around looking for it everywhere. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million are our exclusive dealers. So Barnes & Noble's Books A Million, they all have them, each of their locations. Or you can go to Phil Steele. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Now, the magazine's 352 pages. I feel it's like getting 130 different media guides rolled into one, except it's <laughs> even better because all the information's on the same spot on every page. Quick, easy reference, right, Mike? I mean, yep. you want to know for a score from three years ago, close your eyes, point to the spot on the page where it is. You know it. Who was the leading rusher last year? It takes you half a second to look. It's quicker than the Internet because all the information, same spot, every page for every single team. If you want to know how those announcers sound smarter than you think they are, it's because we're all looking at our Phil Steele guides. We've all got them. I take it every time I do a game. It's it's in my bag and it's on the desk because you never know when you're going to need to reference something uh, like you're talking about. Phil, always appreciate the time. It's been uh, a number of years that we've done this with you in various formats and uh, so happy for your success continuing uh, with it. Uh, and enjoy sitting back on a Saturday, looking up at those 20,000 TVs you've got in your man cave and watching football this year. It's going to be uh, college football back to what, the way it used to be. 
Yeah, with crowds. And it'll be, it'll be great to hear you uh, announcing the games again this year, Mike, uh, with crowds behind it. It'll be a yes. lot of fun. And once again, thank you for having me on in the early years of the magazine. I really appreciate that. Guys, it was a lot of fun. We should do this more often. I love talking football with you guys. Hey, anytime you want to come back on, we, we've got an open chair uh, ready for you, Phil. I absolutely would love to do this again uh, during the season. So we'll, we'll try to set that up as well, Phil. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. A lot of fun today. You got it. Same here. Have a good Phil one, Phil. Steel, everybody. Thank you, Phil. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check them out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Relax. Ride with Founders. When you refinance your new or used vehicle from another financial institution, Founders will beat your existing rate by 1% to a minimum of 1.99% for autos and 4.99% for RVs. Or purchase a new or used vehicle and Founders will deposit $100 into your loyalty select account. Lower your rate or cash in the bank. Get started on your refi or buy today at foundersfcu.com slash refi or buy. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NC. Back with you on J.C. and Morgan. Again, our thanks to Phil Steele, uh, the Phil Steele College Football Guide, for joining us. Um, it's one of those, you, you know, we're, we're given an allotment of time, and we actually went over. Um, but to, to get everything you want out of Phil in 30 minutes, like we, we could do five hours and, uh, and, and still keep going because you got three guys who love college football and have a passion for it, and there's, there's just so many things to talk about, but we appreciate that. Um, JC, there's a number of different directions we can go from here. Huh. You know, we're past July the 4th now. We've got – here's a little countdown for you, okay? As we're recording this on July 6th, I realize some folks might listen to it a little bit later in the week, depending yes. on your schedule. We are 13 days from SEC Media Days, which will be back in lovely Hoover, Alabama. Make sure you check out the uh, Smoothie King at the Galleria Mall. We are – 53 days from week zero, right? August 28th, there'll be a slew of games to kind of whet your appetite. We are 58 days from the first SEC game. You know what that one is off the top of your head? Um, uh, it's, 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 a, the, it's a Thursday night game. I think Arkansas's yep. in it. Uh, it's, it's Arkansas and somebody. I, I don't When I've got Tennessee Bowling Green. Is okay. No, you're right. Okay, uh, right. Tennessee Bowling Green Thursday that night. Thursday night, which uh, you know, I was talking about this on another show. Um, depending on how you look at it, that could be perfect for Tennessee, right? Because Josh Heupel, they need, I mean, desperately need some positive momentum of any kind, some positive PR of any kind. Let's flush out everything that has gone wrong. And there's been a number of things in Knoxville over the last few years. Let's flush all that out. Jeremy Pruitt is gone. He ain't coming back. Butch Jones is gone. He ain't coming back. 
you, you reshuffle the deck on athletic directors. You've got the potential for a smooth operation in Knoxville, which it has not been for some 15 years. You play a Mac opponent in Bowling Green, a game you're going to be favored in, usher in the Josh Heupel era on national TV on a Thursday night. This, this could be exactly what the doctor ordered for Vol Nation. Bowling Green was terrible last year, too. I mean, they weren't. Yeah. They were 0-5, and they canceled their final game. <laughs> they weren't even competitive. I mean, they get 38-3, to 62-24, 42-17, 52-10, and 31-3. That, that, that was Bowling Green not football good. in 2020, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> as, as I always like to say, not all FCS teams are built alike. Nah, well, yeah. Same thing in these Group 5 conferences. People say, oh, the MAC is the MAC. No. There's some teams in the MAC that can beat teams in Power Five, and they do it every year. Yeah, there are other teams in the MAC that are god awful, and that's what Bowling Green was last year. <laughs> that was, yeah. The Earth, Urban Meyer is not walking through that door. <laughs> um, Josh Harris and those guys. Yeah, and, and there's a Week Zero too. Uh, that, that you know, Nebraska Illinois is an intriguing game for for, for Week Zero. Hawaii UCLA, some things like that. But I, you know, if if you're Tennessee, I think. You're kind of happy that you know this is how it opens up uh, w- with a Bowling Green and maybe a team that's not so, you know, it's not like they're going out having to open up against Georgia or something like that for for Heupel's first game. And then you get some momentum, and you got Pitt coming into Neyland Stadium and the Johnny Majors Bowl the next week. Uh, Johnny Majors coached at Pitt and Tennessee. For those of you out there that you know, were, are, are, I'm with are, you. Or younger than me, uh, you know, um, but uh, and and that pit game is not going to be easy. Pit's a a tough out at times for teams, but hey, the Vols win that one. All of a sudden, you're two and zero, uh, and all the the losing from last year and the controversy and all that seems to be kind of you know swept away. Uh, and I think Tennessee was one of those teams last year too, Mike. That with the all SEC schedule, once things started going bad, there was no relief. I mean, it just snowballed, and their their schedule was ridiculous. You know, in terms of the teams they had to play and the draws they had to do. But once things started going south around that Kentucky, it was a halftime of the Georgia game they were winning, and then it collapsed that second half. That Kentucky blows them out. Uh, there was just no relief in sight until Van. That, that's what happens when Vandy's your in-state rival and you play him at the end of the year. But uh, you know, there's just no relief, and uh, so I, I think Vol fans, that's that's probably just what the doctor ordered. And I know this about Josh Heupel: if you don't, if you're not good on defense, he's going to light you up. I mean, that that's just kind of been his mo since he was at Missouri, Oklahoma, UCF, wherever. So uh, maybe a lot of points will be scored there. Yeah, on. Uh, the Tennessee river that Thursday night. Yeah. They just, they just need something. I mean, it's not a landmark win if you, if you win it, but they they just need something positive to cheer about. You remember uh, when South Carolina had lost what 21 in a row and the nation's longest losing streak, they beat New Mexico state in week one and tear down the goalposts. And you say, well, why would they do that? Because by golly, you just needed anything positive. 
it was like an exorcism was was performed that day. Yeah. And and oh, by the way, that that year, Lou Holtz went on to beat Georgia the next week and they, <laughs> they go to an Outback Bowl and yeah. and the losing streak is done. And Tennessee needs you got to start somewhere. It, it, it would not be oppor- an opportune moment to have like a really good power five school at a conference in week one to start things off. Yeah. No, 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 no. G- give me a cupcake. Let me build something positive, at least for a week or two. And, and then we'll, we'll face the reality of the fact that it's probably going to be another long year uh, in Knoxville, just based on personnel. But I mean, I don't know the East is look, once you get past Florida, Georgia, what are we looking at? We're looking at Tennessee rebuild, South Carolina rebuild, Vanderbilt rebuild, Missouri, solid footing, but not the most talented team. And they lost their top defensive player uh, in Bolton and their top running back in Roundtree. Kentucky, you know, Stoops does a great job there, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's his most talented team either. So, mm. you know, if, if you're going to pick a division where you can just kind of pick off some wins uh, despite not having a great team, the SEC East might be the, the division to do it in. Yeah, and like we were talking to Phil earlier, and he, you know, Florida five returning starters on offense. I mean, that uh, that's that's not the juggernaut going into this year that it was last year mm-hmm. with with all they were doing. Um, but I think with Florida, it, it's this: it's you know, Dan Mullen is a good enough coach. He's going to find a way to win eight or nine. I, I think. I mean, it, it, it uh, even with you know their schedule. I think Georgia's clearly the class of the East by a mile. Yeah. Um, and, and I think your Kentucky. You know, from Florida all the way down through South Carolina and and Kentucky and Missouri and Tennessee. You know, I, I think there's opportunities there. I mean, you mentioned this may not be Mark Stoops' most talented team, but this is a great opportunity because they, you know, you've got three, a division a three division opponents with first year head coaches at Tennessee, South Carolina and Vandy. And then you got Missouri and uh, Eli Drinkwitz in his second year, who you got coming in week two, um, you know, so, so there's a chance there. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's going to be fascinating to see well, you know, what happens with the other East Eastern division teams this year. Cause there is a lot of chaos and a lot of transition, not just with new coaches, but roster-wise and and things like that. So that, that's one of the storylines uh, as an SEC East guy I'll be following. And uh, and then I think the West, when you look at it top to bottom, is a bloodbath again this year. I mean, yeah, it, it's one of those years where I, I don't want to pick Arkansas last because I think they'll be much. They'll, they'll, I think they'll be better this year than last year, but. Who who else are we going to pick last? I mean, I, you know, somebody's got to finish seventh in that no, division. That's the problem. That's the problem. I mean, uh, as as Phil mentioned, Ole Miss and Mississippi State should only be better this year. Mm-hmm. And of course, they both were. Uh, uh, well, I mean, depending on if you count bowl games, you could say Mississippi State was, I guess, ahead of of Arkansas at the end of the year, right? Is that uh, three of Arkansas's three and seven? Anyway, yeah, Arkansas beat them, but uh, right, uh, yeah, Mississippi State got got to the bowl. Arkansas got to the bowl. Had, COVID COVID took Arkansas out of the. That's bowl, right, and State won the bowl, and then yeah. State played a, a you know a seven point game with Georgia, a seven point game with Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. Mississippi State was clearly hitting their stride. Um, it's I'm with you. I mean, I like Sam Pittman. 
I like some things about Arkansas, but I don't know how you don't pick them seventh in that division. Connor O'Gara of uh, Saturday Down South had an interesting article saying the three teams in the SEC facing the most pressure. Uh, and of course, you could you could put in parentheses besides Georgia, um, LSU. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, because I mean Georgia, like if if you don't win the East and you're Kirby Smart, it's going to be a really really long off season for you. And of course, for some Georgia fans. It goes beyond that. If you don't win the East with everybody returning and all those top five units, like Phil described, if this is if there's a year you were going to knock off Bama, if it is Bama, you would think that this might be it. Um, but take George out of the equation. He he has three teams facing the most pressure: LSU, Mississippi State, and Florida. Now, I you know the Florida part of the equation, I would almost take issue with because I, I feel like a lot of people have really short memories. First of all, there's a lot of hate for Dan Mullen for whatever reason. Dan just rubs some people the wrong way. Like, I get it. He's he's arrogant. He says things. He, he doesn't care what you think about him. And he shows up at a press conference after his team's involved in a brawl wearing a Darth Vader costume. I, I, I get it. Like, some people just don't like Dan. They, they want Dan to fail. But remember, Dan followed Will Muschamp and Jim McElwain. And you look at what Florida's done this year, or excuse me, uh, during his time frame, I mean, there's no hot seat for Dan Mullen. There shouldn't be, in my estimation. Um, Urban, to use your expression, JC, Urban Meyer and Steve Spurrier in his prime are not walking through that door in Gainesville. So I, I, I think the expectations for Florida, uh, 99% of the people out there are going to pick them second behind Georgia. So how much pressure is that? The, the rest of the East is not that strong, and everybody thinks you're going to lose to Georgia anyway. I agree. I mean, you know, and, and winning that game last year, I thought was huge because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, look, here, here's the bottom line. Dan Mullen is a, he took over a team that I think finished uh, McIlwain's last team finished four and seven. They didn't let him coach it out. He, so the Randy Shannon era was somewhere in between <laughs> there, but um, took over a four and seven team. He went 10 and three, then he went 11 and two, and then he won the East last year. Uh, against an all-SEC schedule. So he's won 19 SEC games in three years, plus yeah. a division title. I mean, that's pretty – I mean, Florida State's not even been close to them, I, I don't think, mm, um, no. in any of the games. Uh, and he beat Georgia. So, I mean, get that. those are the two games Gators want to win. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think – I think in a lot of ways, you know, people – they see Trask is gone – they see how that Cotton Bowl, which was basically an exhibition game last year, right? Because uh, everybody had opted out. They say saw how Oklahoma, and I think that's part of the Oklahoma hype too, is Oklahoma wrecked them in the Cotton right. Bowl. But really, I mean, Florida, look at the Florida was it was like a spring game, really. I mean, they wrecked Florida's B team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I mean was, it was. It was <laughs> They they put Kyle Trask on like a kamikaze mission yeah, to, cool. to, to try to win that game with going nothing around there, him. You know, yeah. And all those opt outs, which unfortunately you're going to see more of that. Um, and I don't even know if a 12 team playoff is going to stop opt outs, but yeah. that's just where we are today in, in college football. But uh, you lose Kadarius Tony, who I think is a very underrated player. I think yes. he's going to be a stud in the NFL. Um, but yeah, I. I I just, I just think a lot of people, um, first off, what really turned it for a lot of people, they were so disgusted 
with what's forever going to be known as the shoe game, right? I mean, the, <laughs> to, it wasn't just that you lost LSU at home and everybody yeah. thought you were going to win. It's like the way you lost, you gave it away. And when you lose games based on kind of a lack of discipline, that drives fans crazy more than anything. Just ask Joe Moorhead at, in Starkville. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course, what happens? Well, then Mississippi State, even when Joe Moore had gone, they get into a bench clearing brawl in the bowl game. <laughs> There's a little little bit of something going on there in the water in Starkville. Um, but but anyway, I I don't think there's a ton of quote unquote pressure on Dan Mullen. At least I I don't think it's it's uh, justifiable. Now, look, if he has just a complete dumpster fire year then obviously that's a difference but if his biggest sin is he loses to alabama and what is it week three at home and he loses to georgia a a team that everybody thinks is going to win the east then i I think i think overall dan mullen is okay now lsu is a different story yeah and it's it's weird saying that because ed orgeron just won a national title a couple years ago but the flavor for a lot of people and that chick, uh, stick of chewing gum has run a little dry. And then you add to that the off the field stuff, which doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. Mm-mm. And you just feel like, okay, this is kind of a big year. I'm not using the term hot seat. I don't know if there's a single coach in the SEC this year on the hot seat, to be honest with you, uh, which is rare in itself. But the the love affair with Ed Orgeron, I think, could quickly change if if good things don't happen this year in Baton Rouge. And I'll tell you what, Texas A&M is at bare minimum using this year to try and say we are no longer playing a backseat to anybody but Alabama. In other words, Auburn and, yes, ULSU, I'm looking at you, we now, Jimbo, we, we, we finally are reaching our potential in College Station, and we are saying hello to you below us from here on out. We are taking that number two spot, and then we'll go after Alabama. But first things first, we got to get to number two. And if they do that, it's not going to sit real well with LSU's fan base either. No. And uh, that's an old rivalry, like – they used to play back in the eighties, LSU and A and M. Then they didn't play once the, you know, until the Aggies got back in the league. But they, those schools don't really love each other, to be honest. Hmm. Um, and they play right there at the end of the year. And, and I and I, look, I'm with you. I'm going to tell you a story, a little short story about a guy named John Brady, not Joe Brady, not Joe Brady, LSU's offensive coordinator who went to the Panthers, who has you know really helped that offense get into to gear I'll tell you about Joe Brady or John Brady. He was the basketball coach at LSU went to the final four hmm. and was gone two years later. Yeah. 06 was the final four team. Yep. 06. And then the next year they slipped about 500 and then kind of a disastrous. And, and there was some off the court stuff there, you know? Uh, so, I mean, I don't know, you know, <laughs> it just, you know, sometimes history repeats itself at certain spots. Uh, I certainly don't want Coach O to go anywhere because I, I love Coach O and go Tigers. You know, I mean he's 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 it's appreciate it's a great. JC, I appreciate you get, get, get my back on this. Oh, very good. I'm enjoying my job at LSU. And yeah, I mean he he's the perfect LSU coach. You know, um, 
You're a good man, JC. Good man. <laughs> Thank you, Coach O. Uh, but I mean, I, I agree that there, there's pressure there, and and um, way more than Florida, I think. And I and I don't the Mississippi State pressure to me. I I, I don't know where that's really coming. From. I don't get that either. I I think that that's the same group of people. They they don't like Mike Leach. <laughs> I know but what it, we learned. What we learned during COVID. There are a lot of reporters out there. They don't like Mike Leach. They, well, they just don't like certain things. And and those things that they don't like, it, 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 you're seeing this with Dabo Sweeney, too. Ah, oh, yeah. You know, some of that is, quite frankly, they don't like Dabo's outlook on the world. And they probably don't like Mike Leach's. And maybe they don't like Dan Mullen. And, and it just seeps through their commentary and their overall coverage. It's unfortunate that that's where we are. Um, you've heard the expression journalism is dead a million times over on the news front. Well, it, it seeps into sports. You saw that during COVID. You, you, got, you got guys that covered that whole thing. And by golly, they, they, had, they, they wanted to let you know what their opinion was. And they were going to use that uh, sometimes in a place where it wasn't really necessary and kind of clouded their objectivity on what was going on. And I just wonder if some of that goes on as well with coaching personalities. Some, some, some of these personalities and some of their outlooks on life, and dare I even say politics, affects the way they are covered by certain people in our business. Uh, yeah, and Mike Leach, I the whole mask situation last year with his mask, and uh, he just kind of like, or uh, uh, was a reporter that was just like, why didn't you have your mask on, you know, and he was like, well, and he gave this long answer, and he goes, <laughs> but I can't help but think at some point, this isn't just like virtue signaling to a politician, Next, you know, and then, yeah. and, 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 you know, but oh my God, that's awful for Mike Leach to say or whatever and all that. And then, uh, yeah, then they get all over Dabo and stuff too about it. it it's, 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 and, and, and during COVID, you're right. People's true colors definitely showed and uh, it's a shame, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any pressure on Mississippi state right now. I think like, let, let me just say this, had they not, semi turned it around at the end of last season and had his offense continued to be like a, a dumpster fire and a train wreck rolled into one. Um, yeah. I mean, cause like they were, they got the win over LSU. Then they were just flat out awful on offense for four straight weeks. Squeak Vanderbilt gave them, <laughs> they almost lost to Vanderbilt. Uh, but then, you know, close game against Georgia. They were a touchdown away in the egg bowl. Uh, and then they really whipped Missouri uh, at the end of last year. And I watched that bowl game that um, they were in against Tulsa. It did get a little chippy, but the Tulsa kids came on the field. I don't know. The way I saw – I'm not saying Tulsa started it. I'm just saying that those Tulsa kids came out there with a chip on their shoulder, and uh, that's all I got to say about that. But, I mean, it, it, it might, it might, like if they hadn't gotten those wins at the end of last year – uh, I think maybe there is some pressure because you got the godfather of the air raid coming in the SEC. Everybody says it's not going to work. We think, oh, it's going to work. Then it doesn't work. I mean, you know, but but now, you know, I mean, they've got, you know, a, a pretty competitive schedule. You, you better not take Louisiana Tech lightly and you better, you know, NC State's going to be tough. And then they play at Memphis. So that's three tricky, hard games before the SEC even starts. But – I think as long as they score points and go up and down the field and 
do what Mike Leach's teams have done, you know, that's the expectation. Yeah, I mean, look, Dan Mullen was the golden standard, is the golden standard for Mississippi State. He wasn't racking up 10-win seasons. I mean, like, he had one really good year under Dak Prescott, and he had a number of solid years where you you win seven, eight games, you, you, you win the Egg Bowl, half the time or more that's always a huge thing around there and then you go to a bowl game yeah that's i think mississippi state i've said this before and by the way kudos to john cohen to coach lamonis and everybody for finally bringing home the natty to starkville yeah they deserve that oh my goodness they deserve that um absolutely deserve that and and long overdue for that fan base who I th- I maintain is they have some of the most realistic fans in in the SEC. Like they don't sit there and say, "Well, we won ten games once, so that's for therefore that's what we should do every year around here." No, they they know better. We went to a Final Four with Dante Jones and Eric Dampier, and so we're a Final Four basketball. Per- no, no, that's that's not the case. Um, I think they're realistic. They're passionate. They're supportive but they have perspective on it. The Joe Moorhead thing just went upside down uh, in a number of different ways. As I mentioned, discipline was a big thing, and that's something that fan base is not going to tolerate when it's just completely out of control. But uh, I, I think Mike Leach, to, to say Mike Leach is on any kind of hot seat, and I'm not saying that's what this article said, but, but I have, I've, I've heard rumblings of that. I'm like, you got to be insane. He's not on a hot seat. That's ridiculous. Uh and for that matter, to me, neither would Dan Mullen be. But uh, I know that's out there as well. I, I I honestly think, and I'd love to know this. We maybe we can get our crack research staff, JC, to look this up. I don't think we're going to have a single coach fired in the SEC this year. When is the last time that's happened? There was a We've year had, like that. Was it twenty sixteen? Maybe was it? And uh, might you might be right. I don't know. There was and one I, year. It was. Uh, it was because everybody was just sort of new. It was. I think it was 2016 when Muschamp uh, took the South Carolina job because Derek Derek Mason was like the only one. No, nope, no, nope, that's not true. Les Miles got fired that year in 2016, okay. if I'm not mistaken. So, and we know the last two years we've had eight coaches fired. Yeah, eight of the 14 t- programs have fired a head coach in the SEC, which I is mean, crazy, stunning. Crazy. Because of that. You can't, you can't, I mean, unless, again, unless you just, you've lost control of everything, you're not going to fire a coach after two years. You know, that's kind of, and again, unless you're, uh, what's his face over at Florida State? Uh, uh, Mike Norvell. No, no, before, before Norvell. Oh, Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart, you know, if you're Willie Taggart or who was the other guy that year? We had two coaches that year get fired after after two seasons because it was just an unmitigated disaster yeah that was just it was, i don't remember what the other one was was, was it, it was it mike riley at nebraska no he lasted more than two I'm pretty sure he did didn't he yeah i think yeah there, there, there was another prominent it'll it'll come to me anyway um but unless you have that kind of scenario you're not firing a guy after two years so i don't think any of the new coaches get fired and then and then you've got obviously hall of fame coaches like Saban, and then you've got guys who have been very successful, like Kirby, and you got guys on the rise, like Jimbo. So it's like, who are you going to fire? Yeah, I, I think the NFL is going to be interesting with some 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 guys, but um, I think it's more tempting now than maybe it was, right. like in the case of Dan Mullen. 
but I don't see anybody getting fired. Ed Orgeron, it, it would be like because of said, X factors. Because of X factors, if, yeah. you know, if, if they kind of, I mean, you know, you hate to see the reports and stuff out there. If more kind of comes out, you know, because right now it's sort of nibbling around the edges a little bit more so than maybe a direct implication. But I would still be a little worried if I were, yeah. you, you know, yeah. and because that's just the kind of thing, and you know, I don't know. So that's, that's, that's yeah, well, that story's not going away. Uh, it, it's it continues to just pick up steam. And, uh, and I, I think nationally it'll be interesting though, outside of the SEC, Mike James Franklin. What if he doesn't have a good year this year? James Franklin's James Franklin is the only guy who can routinely be rumored to move on to bigger and better jobs and when i say bigger obviously penn state's a, a premier elite premier, job yeah but but there's been nfl rumors surrounding him etc and at the same time be on the hot seat right i mean like every year i hear what a two different james franklin is awesome he's great we'd be lucky to keep him in happy valley let's fire his ass okay like, yeah <laughs> gone you know, like, gone get him out you know he's, it's, it's incredible um I, I thought it was one of those no-brainer hires because he's from philadelphia you know he was at vandy probably wasn't in a i mean probably i'm not gonna say he wasn't in a hurry to leave vandy but he did have a good relationship with those kids i was living in nashville the whole time and i knew him i know him i know james uh and i thought this was a marriage made in heaven and then the problem is this you got Matt Rule out there who was a Penn State linebacker. He's Mr. Penn State, mm-hmm. and he's one of the best coaches in football on any level. Yeah. Now, I mean, and you know, you're and you're like that. that that's it's kind of weird because they they don't they didn't compete in the same conference. They were in the same state when he was at Temple. But you ask some Penn State people about Matt Rule, and it, it, it they'll start talking. There'll be some talking about it. So you're not getting them now. But but yeah, you're not. He's he's NFL all the way, and probably going to be very successful with the Panthers. But check this out, Mike. They open Penn State opens at Wisconsin. They got Ball State. Then they have Auburn coming to town. Now I don't I don't know expectations at Auburn are probably not through the roof this year. Uh, then they play Villanova. Then they get Indiana, and then at Iowa. That's a pretty challenging first run of games, and they could easily be like three and three. And the grumblings could happen. Well, yeah, and after last year, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, the margin for error—it's—it's it's not on the side of yeah. Coach Franklin. It, yeah. re- it really isn't. And then you got the situation at Southern Cal that's Clay Hilton still has a job out there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if they—I mean, it's just uh, nationally, it's going to be a little more fascinating than I think around the SEC. But oh, that's, yeah. that's my final point about that. Yeah, we're going to have coaches fired. There's there's no doubt about that. I just don't think it's going to be in the SEC this year, which yeah. is rare. Um, but, uh, there, you know, ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, uh, Big 12. Who's on the hot seat in the Big 12? They just hired another coach at Kansas, so you can't fire him just yet. <laughs> Give him another couple of years. Yeah, he's got the he's, uh, he's got the he's got the long leash, man. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Gundy's not going. Gundy's sort of an institution. Lincoln Riley, unless Lincoln Riley went to the NFL, uh, I don't see him leaving the best. Well, job. yeah. I mean, for that matter, Campbell's always going to be rumored to go to the NFL. NFL yeah, I mean, but but uh, the, the big but who gets schools. fired? Who's the coach nope, at Texas Tech now? Matt Wells? Is he next? I mean, I, he hadn't been there very long because he, he no, replaced I, Clint Kingsbury. 
Yeah, he's it's only be his second year, right? So yeah, I, I would I would think imagine. I would I would I would guess that the Big Twelve is probably pretty solid top to bottom. Pretty too. solid, I, yeah. You know, Dave Aranda didn't have such a great first year at Baylor, but I you know maybe he ends up doing a lot better than uh, you know as we move forward. And, right. You know, it wasn't two and seven is not really kind of what they're used to out there, but. No. Uh, like I said, it was a weird year for everybody. So, uh, I know we're running short on time. I'll just leave you with this. I don't want to get uh, knee deep into NIL today, but sure. Um, this from um, Kane Sport: All ninety Miami football players will be offered six thousand dollar endorsement contracts and a massive NIL deal to promote American Top Team. And it's training centers throughout South Florida. I must admit when I read this, and as you know, I've got some ties to South Florida. I've never heard of American Top Team, but, uh, you know, I kind of get what they do. It's almost like a uh, an Orange Theory, it sounds like, that kind of place. Yeah. Um, and so what's interesting about this deal, what I actually like is that everybody's getting a piece of the pie and not just the star quarterback or the, you know, so um, – Anyway, that's the you know the, these stories are coming at us every hour now, every hour. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. That's that's kind of a landmark one because it involves the entire all ninety players will get that six grand. Thoughts? I thought it was really cool uh, that everybody's getting that cut uh, of, of that money. It's a Brazilian mixed martial arts gym. So oh, it's okay. kind of badass. I mean, really. Brazilian yeah, mixed, mixed martial arts. arts. Right. Yeah, apparently, according to their website. Uh, and, and I like that. I, uh, my whole, you know, and I look at a lot of things from a recruiting perspective because that's my background. I, I, I kind of am a little concerned you're going to start seeing, and it's not even going to be like the Alabamas and Ohio states of the world. I, I'm a little concerned you're going to start seeing this. Everybody can talk about it now being a recruiting advantage, but it ends up being a recruiting advantage um, for some schools. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm wondering what the reaction from the college football community at large will be at that point. Because, like you said, Mike, a lot of the media members, man, that they want to just, like uh, – talk about it like like these guys are going to be millionaires i mean who is it master p's kid <laughs> signed a deal worth two million he's a basketball guy but he's a basketball guy and he's master p's son i mean hey i, I covered snoop dogg's kids they they would have probably gotten sweet endorsement deals too because they're snoop dogg's kids but um people acting like that's going to be the the trend and i I mean, I, I'm just I'm concerned for college football at large. The more this stuff kind of comes out, and the more you, you're looking at this and that and the other, and uh, and the more it becomes about money, uh, cold hard cash, and just to see who ends up with being advantage. Because somebody will have to have an advantage. There'll be some schools good at this, and some schools not. So uh, I'm curious to see how all that shakes out. I think the rich will get richer, and I think. Um if you are a compliance director at any of these schools, good luck. <laughs> you, you got, you got no chance. You got no chance of monitoring all this. Uh, as I've said before, if you do it on the back end, it's legal under NIL. 
If you do it on the front end, i.e. to lure recruits, i.e. pay for play, uh, that's still illegal. And but I good luck proving it. I don't good. know how you're going to. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to figure it out. No, no. So it is we you and I talked about this over a year ago. It's the wild, wild west. And look, for us, I don't have to worry about it. I, I'm not in compliance. <laughs> this is a great story. It's fun for any of us who follow college football. But uh, there's going to be a messy side of this. Make no mistake about it. And we'll see if, if water finds its own level. We'll see if it stabilizes after a couple of years of working out the kinks and finding out uh, what, what, is, what crosses the line and what does not. Uh, who are the bad actors and all of this? And there will be plenty. Uh, if you think agents are not going to be involved in this, you are crazy and naive at the same time. <laughs> they're, they're licking their chops at this. And they, they have been waiting for something like this. Uh, a lot of them have already been doing this kind of thing behind the scenes. Now, in their eyes, they're kind of doing it on the level. So we'll see. Well, there'll be plenty of things to follow with that and other things. And I do want to mention, as always... My gift to you this uh, coming uh, fall and now summer, uh, very few things I can mention in this uh, podcast that are going to save you thousands of dollars. And that is the phone number of Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage, who will save you literally thousands on a new refi or just a new mortgage in general, jumbo loan, construction loan, whatever the case may be, covers them all. No matter what state you're in, he covers them all. He does not have a receptionist answering his phone. This is not some big corporate entity. This is a guy that's been doing it for a long time. And I've dealt with him personally four times over the years on a new mortgage or a refi. And every time he has saved me a ridiculous amount of money. 803-319-1777 is the phone number. Again, it's a number worth remembering and calling. 803-319-1777. You can harass him and tell him Mike Morgan and JC said you're going to do me wonders and let him go to work for you. JC, it's been a fun to go to work for everybody out there and do this again. I say work, let's face it, we're having fun. This is a, a blast, and we are so happy to do it this time of year. Our thanks again to Phil Steele. More great guests coming up soon, and more great talk with uh, yours truly. And uh, I, I, I'm really just so excited about what we're going to what we're going to be able to do. Uh, this fall compared to last fall where it was just mm. so much anxiety covering the sport and talking about things that quite frankly, I don't want to talk about on this forum, but you, you were kind of forced to, yeah. so can't wait for it. Can't wait either. Mike, it should be great. All right. For JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week on JC and Morgan. <laughs>